Hey, what is up, everybody? This is Danny Barham, and I am back with another episode of the all-new, all-awesome podcast. And, uh, man, a lot to talk about today. Uh, I'm going to do things a little bit differently in this episode, where I'm going to start out just giving you guys some updates and uh, a few kind of random uh, things that I've been watching or been into Uh, And then I'm going to spend most of the episode talking about one topic, which is E3. And uh, I know last week I did spend some time kind of just getting hyped up for E3, but I want to go into some more detail uh, and talk about just some fun things that I'm anticipating or hoping for. And just talk about a little bit, uh, a little bit about E3 in general, and kind of what the show is, what it's all about, and why uh, it's always exciting every year. Um, so, with that said, um, you know something that I'm definitely going to be uh, talking about more in the weeks to come is uh, a, a new show, a new show that launched uh, on Netflix uh, just recently. And that show is Sweet Tooth, uh, which I know uh, people are really into. It seems to be doing really well on Netflix, which is awesome. Um, I did watch the pilot episode. Uh, I'm going to be watching more episodes in the weeks to come. And I love the pilot. Um, I thought it was fantastic. And it it was really, really cool because... I'm a huge fan of the comic books that the show is based on. Uh, I read each and every issue of Sweet Tooth, the comic book, as each one came out um, in sort of the mid uh, 2000s. And a uh, huge fan of the comic and a huge fan of its writer and artist, uh, Jeff Lemire. And again, if you've listened to the podcast, if you've read my blogs, if you follow me on social media, it's no secret. I've been a longtime fan of Jeff Lemire. He's been one of my favorite writers uh, of the last probably 20 years. Um, a huge inspiration to me and someone who, you know, if I see his name on something, I will not hesitate to check it out and give it a shot. And, and with all that being said, I think Sweet Tooth is really his magnum opus. Um, to me, it was the, the comic that really established him as just someone who I was instantly a huge fan of. And um, it, it just is such a masterpiece um, of, you know, serialized adventure sci-fi storytelling. And um, just an incredible comic uh, with a lot of twists and turns, a lot of heart, uh, a lot of sort of surprises. And it really mixes genres uh, in a way that I really admire. Um, and the show, uh, seems to be on one hand, somewhat of a faithful adaptation, but also has a lot of interesting updates, uh, to the comic, both in terms of story and tone where, uh, the comic, and this is again, just my early impression from pilot, but, you know, I think inherent in Jeff Lemire's writing and also his artwork is a sort of darkness, a sort of melancholy, um, a sort of surrealism. And 
uh, I think the show sort of takes that and a little bit alters it where it's infused with a more uh, Spielbergian vibe, a more hopeful and uh, brightly colored vibe, I would say. Um, which, you know, as I see the way that the show is handling it, I think makes a lot of sense and helps to take what was an amazing story, but also maybe a little bit of a story that was just realistically too weird for a bigger audience in a lot of ways. Um, it makes it more palatable and more, uh, of a mainstream story, but I think all the core ingredients were always there in the Sweet Tooth comics to do um something really big and four quadrant and epic and it's so funny because now there's been this like viral tweet about uh you know one of the the producers of the show who got sort of rejected from some anonymous executive who said something to the effect of like oh no one's ever going to watch this show about a dear boy um and that that kind of thing is so obnoxious to me because it's like Anything can be a show, especially in this day and age. Audiences are more open-minded than they've been. Younger audiences, I think in particular, are always looking for something new and fresh and unique. And, you know, it's, it's a, we're a long way away from the days when if something did not fit into a very distinct genre or aesthetic, then it was considered just too risky. Um, that was really the old way in TV. I think, you know, uh, the mainstreaming of sort of nerd culture and um, sci-fi and fantasy and post-apocalyptic fiction, all of that has just completely transformed uh, the types of shows that you see out there. And especially on the streaming platforms that embrace that younger audience. Um you know, anything is fair game. And if there's executives or producers out there who don't get that, then they're just going to be left behind because uh, I don't think younger audiences, uh, you know, have that much appetite for um, just the same old genres that were prevalent in, in past decades. I think, you know, yes, there's certain uh, types, there's certain, uh, genres that we have now that are prevalent, whether it's, you know, YA fiction or superhero or whatever. But I think those genres exist based more on types of stories, types of themes, types of characters. The actual premise or setting of the show can be anything, which I think is awesome. Um, and that's not something that used to be the case, certainly in TV. Um, so, I really liked Sweet Tooth, um, just the first episode. Uh, I'm really excited to watch more. And I would also urge people to go back and check out the comics by Jeff Lemire, which are just absolutely fantastic. Again, my initial impression is uh, that if you like the show, you'll find the comics to be a little bit darker, weirder, a little more surreal. Um, but that's, that's a good thing. Um, and Jeff Lemire is just really one of those great writers you know, even I think about right at this moment, um, he's got several comics out that I'm a fan of. Um, and he just just keeps doing great stuff. Um, you know, he's got the Black Hammer franchise for Dark Horse, which has become sort of a whole uh, universe of, of comics that are interconnected, that are all 
fantastic. He's got the Ascender uh, series um, for Image. That's just a really cool, you know, first there was Descender, then it became Ascender. And it's this really cool sci-fi series uh, that has shades of Mass Effect and, uh, you know, is just this really um, big, interesting epic that also has a lot of heart. Um, you know, he's done stuff like Royal City in recent years that was a more grounded um, sort of human uh, story that was based somewhat on his teenage years. And yeah, I mean, it's it's just cool that Jeff Lemire is having this success, I think, with Sweet Tooth because he's really been just one of the absolute best creative voices out there with his comics. And uh, yeah, what a great writer. If you're a fan of Sweet Tooth, by all means, check out the comics and uh, his other writing as well. Um, now, I'm recording this uh, on Wednesday, so I have not yet seen Loki, the first episode on Disney+. Plus. Very excited for that, obviously. I'm trying to avoid spoilers until I get to watch it. I'll probably watch it tomorrow. So I'm excited about that, and, uh, and surely I will uh, talk more about that in the weeks to come. I'm also very excited that... Uh, this weekend, I'm going to go to the movies, uh, to the theater for the first time in over a year and a half. Um, I think in 2020, early in the year, I saw uh, several movies in the theater. Uh, the last movie I think I saw in the theater was Onward, which was sort of right before everyone was really on lockdown. And I remember even going to that movie, people were nervous and trying to sort of wash their hands a lot and whatnot. Um, so yeah, that was March of 2020. So man, I am very excited. I'm going to go see in the Heights. Uh, Rebecca and I are going to go to the, uh, good old AMC 16 in Burbank Dolby theater. Of course, uh, got to get the optimal, uh, you know, experience, audio visual experience. Um, so man, I'm excited to go. Uh, I've been chomping at the bit to, to go and go to the theater. So AMC, let's do it. You're, you're one of your best customers will be returning, uh, this week. So I'm excited for that. Um, and I did also just want to mention, um, I realized last week I forgot to mention this, but I've seen some, I've watched some really good movies over the last few weeks as part of our ongoing uh, movie marathon weekends. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, I forgot to mention, we watched um, uh, some Wachowski movies. Um and and part of it was because we finally finished uh, Sense8. And so, you know, I think I've talked about Sense8 a good amount on the show, uh, here on the podcast, and um, I really enjoyed that show overall. You know, it was a lot of fun, great characters, some incredible action sequences, uh, you know, very good message and sort of progressive message 
about diversity and being an individual and, um, you know, living your best life. And uh, so we finished Sensei and that ended with sort of a two and a half hour movie that had been produced for Netflix um, to wrap up that series. And so we wanted to find another Wachowski movie to uh, pair with it for the weekend. And we kind of went back and forth and there were, you know, I think I've seen almost every Wachowski movie, but the one that I had never seen was actually their first movie called bound. And uh, we ended up deciding to watch it. And it's so funny because going in, my perception of bound was that it was going to be sort of this like salacious, uh, you know, like I remember the marketing of it from I uh, from the nineties uh, when it came out. I was maybe like a little too young to have seen it uh, in the theater, uh, but I remember sort of hearing about it as being this very like scandalous, like oh, it's this like lesbian uh, move, you know, movie with it's gonna have a lot of sex and uh, nudity and uh, you know, Gina Gershon and Jennifer Tilly are in it and. You know, they get up to some stuff and, uh, you know, I, if I remember, I might be misremembering this, but I feel like it was more marketed towards like, you know, as a, sort of this, um, again, just like scandalous kind of movie. So I thought it might be like kind of cheesy, fun, whatever. It's actually, I mean, it's fun, but it's also like a ridiculously good movie. Um, just a really well done sort of crime uh, film noir type movie, neo noir type movie. Um, you know, all the, all the cast is, is fantastic. Jennifer Tilly, uh, Gina Gershon, and then uh, Joey, uh, Joey Pants, uh, Joey Pantaleono. Um, I always feel like I'm mispronouncing his name. So apologize, apologies if I did, but he is just awesome in the movie. Um, you know, it's basically about these two women who sort of strike up a flirtation and then a relationship. And it turns out that one of them, Jennifer Tilly, uh, is married uh, in sort of an unhappy marriage to this guy who's like this mob, this like mid-level mob guy. And so the two women conspire to sort of, um, you know, uh, rip him off and, and potentially like run away together and take his money and uh there's just so many great twists in it and the tension is just off the you know off the scales um it's just so well constructed so well written and just a really fun edge of your seat uh thriller and sort of noir classic noir type of movie i loved it um i mean it's it's honestly one of my favorite movies that i've watched in a long time um, so if you've never seen Bound and you sort of just wrote it off as, you know, a lesser Wachowski movie, definitely not. It's it's well worth your time. And uh, I, w- I would definitely say check it out. Um, and then, so this past weekend, uh, we did a little bit of a rock and roll uh, movie theme that I had been wanting to do for a while and and part of it got sort of heightened uh heightened when uh jim steinman passed away 
I realized, you know, I saw a lot of people talking about the fact that he wrote some of the songs for the movie Streets of Fire. And that had been on my list forever. I had been wanting to watch it, but then I even wanted to watch it more knowing that he had contributed to the movie. And I had, you know, I sort of wanted to do a little tribute to him and watch the movie. So we watched uh, Streets of Fire, and it was my first time ever seeing it. I had the uh, Screen or Shout Factory uh, Blu-ray, which has an awesome uh, cover and some great uh, special features. And I love this movie. <laughs> it's uh, I. Th- my only regret is I think it would be such a fun movie to see at like the New Beverly or somewhere like that with an audience because it's so over the top and so hyper stylized and the dialogue is like intentionally uh just ridiculous and sort of paying homage to like 50s you know uh biker movies and stuff like that um and so all the sets are very like uh stylized and and there's a lot of just hyper um you know the aesthetic there's a real aesthetic to the movie that's this particular like 80s meets 1950s meets like Blade Runner type of aesthetic um, that sort of takes place in this like fantasy noir type of setting, very heightened. Um, And it's also a rock musical. So it's got these big over the top rock songs. You know, Jim Steinman does a couple of them that have that very uh, theatrical, um, operatic type of of uh you know vibe to them and the cast is so great diane lane is amazing in this movie and she sings some of the songs you know willem dafoe is in it as a villain and he's great there's randomly uh an ed begley jr cameo where he plays very against type as a sort of punk thug dude which is just hilarious Um, so this is a great, like, get a group together and watch it movie, but I really enjoyed it. And, uh, it's definitely like one of those movies that for me is now in my instant canon of like all time cult classics. And the music is amazing. I, I literally bought the soundtrack the night after I watched it because, uh, I just wanted to have a bunch of those songs, uh, easily accessible and uh and then the second movie we watched as part of this rock and roll uh marathon was the 2000s uh josie and the pussycats which is another movie that literally from the time that movie came out in theaters i remember wanting to see it and for whatever reason i never saw it and I've always wanted to, and I've and I've seen all the articles over the years, looking back at the movie, you know, hailing it as this like sort of subversive cult classic that made fun of consumerism and the pop culture of that era, and so it had some like built-in hype for me, but I will say it definitely lived up to that hype. It was just a really fun, uh, funny very subversive movie which um you know it makes fun of a lot of consumerism and brands and stuff like that but all the brands are actually in the movie and the movie's like directly making fun of them 
which you don't see in a lot of movies because you have to get the rights to use, you know, Starbucks or McDonald's or MTV or whatever. They got somehow all the rights to use those logos and those companies and really kind of skewer them as well. So I don't know how that happened. I remember there was a really good oral history of the movie from a while back. I'll have to go back and reread it um, now that I've seen the film. But uh, yeah, Josie and the Pussycats. It also has an amazing soundtrack of sort of, uh, you know, a lot of like female led uh, pop punk bands from that early 2000s uh, era. And, um, you know, it definitely is a throwback and kind of nostalgic watching it now, but uh, just really fun and, and a lot of very funny moments. And another movie where the whole cast is really good. Um, Alan Cummings uh, is great as like the sleazy producer, um, you know, top to bottom. There's a, and there's a lot of like fun cameos and stuff like that. So Josie and the Pussycats definitely recommend. Uh, it is currently on HBO Max if you're looking for it uh, as well. Um, oh, and by the way, I forgot to mention Streets of Fire. It, I did have the Blu-ray, but. It's actually also on Netflix, too, if you want to check that out and stream it. So with all that said, uh, I will be back. And instead of doing Picks of the Week this week, we're going to talk E3. So I'll be right back after this. All right, and we are back. And uh, like I said, this week, it's going to be a little bit different, a little bit unique, because we are mere days away from E3. And uh, E3, of course, is not happening this year in the usual E3 way. Unfortunately, we're still at the tail end of this pandemic, uh, hopefully at the tail end. and. There is not going to be an in-person show. And that combined with the fact that even before the pandemic, E3 was sort of having, uh, you know, some issues and it was unclear the future of the show. So let's talk about it and get into what is E3? Why is it cool? And why even in this sort of diminished uh, form that it's in right now, should we get excited about it? Um, so let's take a step back and luckily I, I happened to be listening to another podcast recently that refreshed my memory a little bit about some of the history of E3, but, um, you know, I'll kind of go through and if you're not familiar, E3 is the annual electronic entertainment expo. Um, that mostly has taken place in Los Angeles at the LA Convention Center. Um, I myself have been very lucky to be able to attend E3. Uh, I attended it actually, I just realized for 10 years straight, my first year was in 2009, and I attended it, I believe, every year um, from 2009 to 2019. Um, and even in that time, it went through a lot of evolution and changes, but to step back for a second, and I'll talk more in a minute about my own experiences at E3, um, 
but uh e3 came about in the mid 90s and prior to e3 video games the video game industry didn't really have their own uh trade show um to to showcase their their games and their hardware typically before e3 came along and i remember as a kid i would read all you know i'd read about this in the video game magazines and all that um you know there there was uh and still is an annual show called the consumer electronics show or ces that would take place every year in las vegas and for a long time uh you know video games were just sort of a part of ces and you know even during the height of the of the early gaming boom you know in the nintendo years in the 80s and uh through the early 90s when video games were just unprecedented levels of popular uh with you know super nintendo and genesis and the nintendo sega wars all that even with that happening uh video games were just kind of uh somewhat of an afterthought in the in this world of ces and you know the i guess the the running joke was that if you were at ces you actually had to like walk through the porn uh section to get to the video game section and that's how poorly regarded video games were in that world of the consumer electronics show and you know the consumer electronics show would have everything from tvs to you know appliances um if you go now they have stuff like drones and uh smart uh devices for your home and everything in between um so i've also actually been to ces um and you know i will tell you that it's a good thing a very good thing that video games got their own show because ces uh, especially in recent years, is pr a pretty boring show. Unless you're just a real tech nerd. Um, this isn't even the cool, sexy tech, though. This is like TVs that are a little bit bigger and a little bit sharper. And a lot of these kinds of you know devices that are cool on a trade show floor, but you'll never actually buy for yourself. Um, which is weird, because it's called the Consumer Electronics Show, but there's really not that much that's that cool there, to be honest, especially now. Um, E3 is really much more exciting. Um, but in any case, in the mid-90s, it was decided that video games should have their own show. And E3 was formed. Um, and I believe 1995 was the first E3, which was actually a really good year to have it because uh the sony playstation was coming out later that year and so e3 uh 1995 the first e3 was also the big unveiling of uh the sony playstation and you know that e3 if you know your e3 lore is kind of infamous because sega was trying to compete with the playstation with their sega saturn and, you know, the, from, from the very first E3, it sort of established the, the precedent that would go on for years and years uh, that all the big game companies would do these press conferences where they would really try to create hype uh, for their consoles and games. And 
there was always this weird dichotomy of, you know, ostensibly they were press conferences for the press, but really the audience was in many ways uh, the gamers themselves. And so there's always been this push and pull of to what extent are those conferences about rattling off sales figures and things like that that are impressive for, you know, media and to what extent is it just really for the consumers? And I think we've now reached a place where it's really just about the consumers because with the advent of the internet and live streaming uh, and instant video, it's, you know, everyone's watching this stuff as entertainment. And so that's what, that's what the purpose is. Um, but with that said, even from that first E3 in 1995, there was this very theatrical element to these press conferences and, you know, each of the big companies trying to sort of outhype the other one. And at that first E3, there was the famous incident where Sega was like, surprise, our new console, the Sega Saturn is out right now in stores uh, and you can go buy it. And the price is, you know, X, I think it was like, uh, I want to say it was like three ninety nine or something um, for the Sega Saturn, and the whole thing proved a bit of a disaster because uh, it was hard to find the Saturn. It didn't really have many games. Uh, a lot of the big games that people were excited for were still a ways away. Um, and then, meanwhile, Sony had like the second press conference, and they came out and basically were just like oh, well, we're not going to be out until the fall, but we're going to be $100 cheaper. And that right there was basically the death knell of the Saturn, which I know a lot of people have some fond memories of that console, but it was basically doomed from the start and sort of spelled the beginning of the end for Sega. Um, so E3 has always had a lot of drama and a lot of hype. And that's part of why I love it because I don't know that other entertainment industries have anything equivalent exactly. I think uh, Comic-Con to some extent for movies and TV has sort of taken up the mantle of like big reveals and big hype and big debuts of things. Um, but, you know, Comic-Con still, you never know quite what you're going to get. Um, on a given year. E3, though, it's always going to be like uh, all the video game news is sort of like this is the epicenter. This is the, the Super Bowl of video games in some ways. Um, now, you know, as the years went on, E3 certainly had its share of uh, controversy and, and issues and um at one point, I believe it was moved out of L.A. and it actually was in Atlanta for a year or two in like the late 90s. Um, and that caused a lot of issues because attendance wasn't as good. And then I think at some point it was actually in Santa Monica for some reason, because I think it may have had to do with they were not able to renew their lease uh, or their agreement with the uh, L.A excuse me, the LA Convention Center. And um, eventually, though, E3 sort of settled back in LA. 
And at the height of E3, which I would probably say was like the mid uh, to late 2000s, it was just this epic, huge event. And you had Nintendo, Sony, Microsoft, each just going all out to one up the other. And it became really a spectator sport of, you know, who won E3 and, you know, who brought out the big guns that year versus who didn't. And, you know, I remember, um, again, as a kid, I would read all the video game magazines and, Later on, I would read all the websites uh, in those early days of the internet. And I would follow E3, uh, you know, as closely as I could. And it was so exciting. You know, in the early internet days when I would check, like, I remember there was a website, I think PSN, that was like the early version of IGN. Uh, There was all the, like, PlayStation news specifically. And I would just refresh and refresh and... Uh, read all the latest news and and uh, reveals and um, you know and you would always see the pictures of the e3 show floor and I remember reading like you know I would read diehard game fan magazine and and others and they would have these big photo spreads of the show floor of e3 and it just looked like you know this Willy Wonka type of like wonderland with these you know, giant booths and, uh, you know, uh, everything was colorful and bright and big and flashy. And so when I had the opportunity to go to E3, I was so excited. I mean, I couldn't believe it. That was like really a childhood dream. And, you know, the short version is that it sort of came about basically the reason I was able to go was that through my work in digital distribution, I was working with a lot of the video game consoles who were getting into like distributing video, you know, TV shows, movies over their services. Um, and so we were working closely with Microsoft and Sony. And so they would invite us to go to E3. And so 2009 was the first year I got to go E3 and I think that's probably like the first year that we were like fully in business with Microsoft and Sony through digital distribution and um, I remember uh, going to like some of the press con. I got to go a bunch of times I got to go to the Microsoft press conference a couple times to the Sony press conference and I remember stepping onto the show floor and just having that instant um rush of excitement and it was just like a kid in the candy store where you know you look in one direction and you see square soft and you look in another direction and you see capcom and you look over there and it's nintendo and you know nintendo for example would always do like these very disney-esque you know whole lands within the e3 show floor that were themed and had all these photo ops and just crazy stuff and so, you know, I would read a lot of, as the years went on, you'd always read the takes of like E3 sucks now and it sounds good. But even in those later years, as soon as I walked onto that show floor, I just had so much excitement and just couldn't believe it. Um, 
And and like I said, I, I did get to go to some of the, the press conferences. So you have the show floor where you have booths and all these companies um, kind of letting you play some of their games. And they had different kiosks where you could play games and uh, and all kinds of stuff, you know, just convention stuff like, um, you know, all kinds of displays and, and people trying to sell you stuff. And uh, it was just very cool to be on that show floor. And, uh, you know, in later years, uh, like Microsoft would have their own sort of separate area that was outside of the convention center. Um, and and it, start, and it would grow and expand and become a whole thing, you know, beyond just what was inside of the convention center. Um, but it was always cool, you know, it was like, since I would usually just go for one day, um, and not for like all three or four days that it actually lasted, you know, there wasn't really time because a lot of it is, was still tailored for the media. And so if you didn't have a special media pass, you couldn't really, you would have to wait in hours long lines to play some of the big games. So I wouldn't actually play that many games. I would just sort of dart around and look at everything and take a lot of photos um, and find cool photo ops and stuff like that and just look over people's shoulders as they played some of the games. Um, and that was fine with me because even like playing a game in those circumstances where, you know, you have to wait in line forever and then it's like a demo and you have to like really quickly learn the controls and stuff um, is not really always the best way to play a game anyway. So I just enjoyed like the darting around and, and, and just soaking it all in. That was just part of the fun. Um, and, and so then the press conferences were always a lot of fun. I mean, it's so funny because over the years when I would go for work, I would sometimes go by myself and sometimes I would go with other coworkers who were not really video game people. <laughs> and they, I think it's one of those things that if you're not a video game person, you just don't get it. Like you just get a headache. You just, everything looks the same. And if you're not into games and you have to sit through one of these like two hour press conferences, I imagine it's very, painful but for me i would just be in seventh heaven sitting in the audience you know some like the microsoft conference was usually at usc um in their big auditorium there in the galen center it was called um and it's this huge arena you're sitting there it's got this crazy atmosphere you know there's a mix of journalists and industry people and like random fans who have sort of somehow got their way into it. And there's people from all over the world, which is one of the coolest things. Like you look around and there's people from Europe, from Asia, um, you know, from all countries that you can imagine from all parts of, of America. Um, and it's so cool. I love that. Just seeing like so many people from all over the world come together for this one event and they're all nerdy. They all love video games. Um, they're all part of this culture. And it's really cool. And, you know, as a side note to that, I think one of the most fun things about E3 was 
similar to Comic-Con where early in the early years I went in like 2009, 2010, I mean, it was pretty heavily guys, not a ton of women there unless they happen to work in the industry. Late as the years went on, by the time we got to 2019, the amount of women there uh, was so much greater and you could really feel the industry changing uh, to be more inclusive. And obviously there's a ton of work that the games industry still has to do, um, but you could feel that change year after year, um, which was really cool. And these press conferences, man, uh, so much hype. You know, every everything's really a surprise. So, you know, you didn't really know what to expect going in. The one thing you could always count on was Xbox. No matter what, they would pretty much always have a one really boring segment where they show you the new Forza game, which is sort of their racing franchise. Um, and I don't know why they always spend time with that. I guess there's some people that just really love Forza. Um, but that aside, it was always just so fun because you didn't know what was going to happen. You didn't know who was going to show up. I was just looking at some photos before this. And my first year of going to E3, 2009, I'm looking at the photo album to remind myself what it was like. And the main picture I have is from the Microsoft uh, press conference from that year. And the picture is of Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr. Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr at the Xbox press conference to present the Beatles rock band. I mean, pretty crazy. And I'm just looking through these pictures here and, I'm, you know, Tony Hawk was there to promote his new game. Um, and it just went on and on. But I mean, these things were big deals and, you know, there's been a lot of fun celebrity moments uh, at these events and sometimes they don't come off well and they're sort of cringy. But I mean, you know, going to an Xbox conference and you're surprised by the two living Beatles being there. I mean, doesn't get much better than that. And so always interesting. Sometimes these things would get totally out of hand. Like I think it was like 2010 or 2011 when Microsoft was coming out with the Kinect uh, for Xbox, which was their motion sensor uh, device. They had this crazy event that I went to where it was like Cirque du Soleil. Uh, everyone was wearing these weird light up sensor robes. It felt like we were all in like the Heaven's Gate cult. It was, we all had these wristbands that glowed in sync, in, in sync with each other. It was absolutely nuts. And it just went on and on and on for hours. It was like, when does this thing end? Uh, it was one of the strangest events I've ever been to in my life. But again, like that's the fun of the video game industry is that it still has this kind of crazy rock and roll element to it where you never quite know what's going to happen. And E3 was this unique combination of hype and marketing and rock and roll that, again, you don't really have in any other industry.
And I think, you know, as E3 went on, there was that eternal question of, all right, if really this event is for the fans, but, you know, we're not inviting them to the actual event itself, they're just reading about it online, then how do we, you know, does that even make sense? And so at some point, um, a couple years back, E3 decided to try its hand and become more of a public facing event. And you could go just as a fan for the first time. And I don't think it was a smashing success. It got way overcrowded. The convention center, you know, even before the public could go, people would be waiting in line for multiple hours to play a game. It got even crazier once the public was let in. And there just wasn't a lot for the public to do because you know, at Comic-Con, you pay for a ticket. And even if you don't make it into the panels that you really want to see, uh, there's still a lot going on there. And, you know, you, you're going to get your money's worth when you go to Comic-Con, no matter what. At E3, you know, I sort of knew what to expect after going for many years, that it was more about just go for one day, you know, unless you're a member of the press, it was about, to me, like going for one day, just starting around, checking stuff out, going home. Uh, so they tried to do these sort of panels. And I remember I, I actually saw a couple of really interesting panels at E3 um, the last couple of years I went. But they weren't really, they weren't like super great. They were interesting, but they were still pretty like inside baseball for the most part and still somewhat like geared towards press more than just average people, I guess. Um, they were very light on like star power, celebrities, things like that. Um, so I don't know if E3 does come back in full force, if it's going to still, um, you know, have, have fans able to access it, but my suspicion is that the trade show will come back uh, and people will go like they used to, mostly press. But then there will be a fan element that's online and virtual. And this year, um, you know, I think that's what we're really going to get is just that virtual component that will be really entirely fan focused. Um and, you know, there's now been these other things that have popped up to sort of complement E3. There's a whole thing called the Summer of Games that is sort of a concurrent event that's also more fan-focused. Um, and it's all it all just sort of blurs together where it's like E3 is now just one part of this week-long sort of celebration of games in the industry and hype and all that. Um but yeah, I mean, man, there were some cool things that, you know, just you, you can't beat that feeling of being there. And, you know, another thing, uh, just some of the some of the events were just crazy. Like, I remember going to the every year Sony. I love getting invited to the Sony one because they would have these big parties after the press conference where they would have unlimited, you know, food trucks, open bar. Um, just crazy amounts of food, music. I remember one year they had Jane's Addiction play 
which was actually a really weird concert because for some reason, even though it was a trade show concert, they refused to play any of their hits. I don't know why Perry Farrell did that, but that was, it was still cool. It was, it was Perry Farrell and Jane's Addiction. Uh, but yeah, regardless, I mean, it'll be interesting, like, where E3 goes from here. And um, I hope it continues because it, to me, again, there's no other equivalent in, in other media industries. And to me, it is sort of that sense of community that makes the video game industry so exciting and so in a lot of ways. And that sense that, hey, there's this one week where everyone is tuned to the same stuff. And while, you know, everyone's been off playing their games at their own pace for the last for the rest of the year, this is the week where everyone sort of stops what they're doing, watches all these events and gets hyped together. And I think there is something to be said, like for whether it's E3, Comic-Con, whatever, but those kinds of events that are really rallying cries and are galvanizing and build community and just sort of are good for the good for the spirit and good for the enthusiasm of the community um so yeah e3 this year like i said just going to be virtual only and we're not going to you know again it's like all this so it's it's a lot of different events combined really because a couple of years ago, like Sony hasn't officially been part of E3 for a couple of years now. Other big companies like Electronic Arts, Activision, Rockstar, they've also not been officially a part of E3 for quite a while. But again, I think the cool thing of having this week that's like E3, but also other stuff is that it still gives Sony an opportunity to do some big trailer reveals or big announcements it gives Rockstar a chance to do the same. So we'll see. I think that's part of the fun of of this upcoming week is we don't exactly know what's going to happen. I assume Sony will have some sort of state of play at some point. We know Nintendo is going to do a Nintendo Direct for E3. Microsoft is going to do something. But we'll see. There's always surprises, and that's that's a big part of the fun. so I'll be back in the next segment. I'm going to do one more segment and uh, I'm going to talk specifically about this year's E3 and what could be cool to see at the show this year. So I'll be back right after this. All right, so I'm back with the final segment of today's show, and I know we've talked about a lot, a lot about E3, and so I kind of just gave, you know, some of the history of E3, talked about some of my uh, experiences with the show, but now I want to kind of zoom in on this year's show, which is coming up, and again, it's all part of this big um, you know, I guess when I'm referring to this year's show, I'm referring to both E3 itself and all of the other adjacent uh, gaming events that are happening, including this big summer of gaming uh, thing that IGN and Jeff Kiley are putting on, uh, as well as any sort of 
uh, other adjacent press conferences or events like Sony uh, that that Sony may have, for example, that coincide with E3 week. Um, so it's going to be an interesting show. Um, I talked about this a little bit last week, but I feel like we're in this very strange place right now in the gaming space where on one hand, I think the good news is that, you know, for a while there, there was a period where people were sort of like console games are dying. You know, everyone's just going to be playing games on their phone and there's not really a place for console games anymore. And luckily that has been proven very wrong. And, uh, you know, the Nintendo Switch uh, came out and kind of revitalized the portable handheld market and became wildly popular. You know, uh, Sony and Microsoft, Sony in particular, uh, continued to have some really strong success. Um, You know, Sony had a great wave of games come out for the PS4. Uh, like God of War, and then uh, Last of Us Part Two, Ghost of uh, Tsushima, and a host of others that really just solidified PS4 as, I, I would say, the must-own system of this previous generation. Um, and now even more consoles are coming out. The new PS5 has been off to a little bit of a slow start. Same with the new Xbox. Um, and a lot of that has been due to short supplies and delays in games. But with that being said, I think with the pandemic, you know, one thing we certainly saw was that with people stuck at home, a lot of people got back into games who hadn't been in that into them for a while. Uh, people of all ages were really getting into games from Animal Crossing to uh, revisiting old classics. Um, to uh you know just just getting into games in a way that i don't think we've seen this many people getting into and talking about games uh, ever really um so it but that being said there's still this weird moment where there's these new consoles that are that are out uh but they're still in very short supply and there's still very few exclusive games for them. And like I talked about last week, um, Sony, I think, has surprised a lot of people by announcing that some of the biggest PS5 games that were thought originally to be exclusives are actually also going to be coming out on the PS4. So like Horizon, Forbidden West, and the new God of War will also be out on the PS4. And I know for myself... As a PS4 owner, you know, I've been perfectly happy to play certain games like, you know, Spider-Man Miles Morales on the PS4. It's perfectly great on that system. Um, and so I feel like I've put off a little bit getting a PS5 for the moment. But I think now you have E3. Uh, we do, unfortunately, know that some big games like Out of War have been delayed even further to 2022 but now is the time where i think sony and and also xbox can start to get a second wave of excitement around their consoles by announcing you know new games hopefully some new ips um and just really uh implant the idea in people's minds 
that some really big, exciting stuff is coming in the near future. Nintendo, meanwhile, they've got a weird situation where, uh, you know, the Switch is doing perfectly great, even though it is somewhat older technology at this point. And certainly, you know, it was already underpowered versus the PS4 uh, and Xbox One. And now it's even more underpowered versus the new generation of consoles. So there's heavily rumored to be a new upgrade to the Switch, a new version of the console coming out uh, that may be revealed at E3. Now, of course, that's a little dangerous. It, it could kind of divide the user base. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see what form this new console takes. And is it backwards? You know, how backwards compatible is it? Is it is sort of, you know, if a new game comes out, is it going to be playable on either the regular Switch or the new Switch? How is it going to work? And can Nintendo uh, have lightning strike twice and get people just as excited for this new console as they were for the old one? I don't know. I feel like it's a little risky for Nintendo. Um, and they don't have a great track record of uh, doing well and, and getting it right with successive consecutive consoles. Um, so we'll see. I mean, to me, the biggest thing is Nintendo desperately needs some, some new games. Um, you know, they, like I said, they launched with a bang, um, in that first year or, or so with, you know, Mario Odyssey and Zelda, uh, Breath of the Wild. Um, they followed that one, two punch with some really good follow-up games, but it's been a pretty big dry spell lately. Um, other than the, the phenomenon that was animal crossing, but in terms of sort of the big must play epic triple a games, we've really not seen much from Nintendo at all lately. So I think they're going to have to really step it up. Um, and as far as Microsoft goes, uh, you know, I think they've been really lagging behind Sony. Um, and, you know, Sony has had all the hype of the last year, whether it's PS4 games like Last of Us Part Two. Now they just released, released uh, Ratchet and Clank, uh, A Rift Apart, that's getting some of the best reviews of, of any next generation game so far. Now, Microsoft has um, a couple of things going for it. It's got its Game Pass, which has really been winning over a lot of gamers with its uh, subscription model. It also uh, has that sort of PC connection. So, you know, just like a lot of Sony games are coming out on PS5 and PS4, Xbox games tend to come out also on PC, um, which can be seen as a detriment, but can also be seen as a way to sort of expand the Microsoft brand beyond just console gamers. Um, and it sort of positions them well, even if their console doesn't quite do as well as Sony's. Finally, a couple of years ago, you know, we started to see Microsoft get really aggressive, aggressive about buying up developers. And that's where they were really lagging behind Sony for a long time. Uh, and most recently, Sony, or sorry, Microsoft 
they purchase Bethesda, which makes some of the absolute biggest games and has the biggest franchises out there, most notably uh, the Elder Scrolls and Skyrim. So this could be the E3 where that really pays off and the, the fruits of those labors start to be evident. And if Microsoft starts dropping bombshells about exclusive big Bethesda franchises for Xbox, that could be a real turning point. Uh, so it's going to be interesting. It's going to be very interesting. And I think with Sony, you know, like I said, they have some of their biggest games like God of War that are likely not going to be coming until 2022. So my big question with Sony is, are there any surprises for this year that we've yet to see that can give them that big holiday season this year um, with the PS5? Um, so Sony tends to be pretty good about surprises. Um, I feel like they have so many development teams and, and things like that, that you never know exactly what they're going to have. So we'll see. It's going to be interesting. You know, that's why even though this is just sort of all virtual E3 and some of it isn't even about E3 specifically, I feel like it's going to be a really interesting week for games and I'm, I'm pretty hyped. Um, so let me just mention, I kind of was looking at a list here of games that are likely for uh, E3 to be shown. And I'm just going to name 10 games that these are games that are fairly to highly likely to be shown and and they're games I'm excited for. So uh, just talking about a few of these, um, I mean, one that we know is on the way soon this year is Psychonauts 2. So the original Psychonauts was a huge cult classic game uh, from the 2000s. It was created by uh, Tim Schafer, who is the legendary game designer who uh, sort of made his name at LucasArts in the 90s, working on classics like Day of the Tentacle, Grim Fandango, Full Throttle. Uh, he did the game Psychonauts. He and his team at Double Fine Productions, a, a true cult classic game. People have been clamoring for a sequel for years. It was one of those games that had just incredible imagination and we're finally, finally getting a sequel. And it's going to, you know, one interesting twist here is that Double Fine is among those many developers that were bought by Microsoft in the last year. Psychonauts 2 was developed for multiple consoles. So it will be coming out on multiple consoles. But I think one interesting question will be, when will we start to see Microsoft exclusives from Double Fine and what will those be? And will they be good enough that they convince someone like me who isn't normally an Xbox gamer to go over to the uh, Xbox side of things and check out those games? So very excited to see more of Psychonauts 2. It's definitely one of my favorite uh, or sorry, one of my most anticipated games of this year, for sure. So I'm excited to see more of that at E3. Um, now, Hollow Knight is another game that was a huge cult classic. I wouldn't even call it a cult classic. I would call it a, a pretty mainstream classic. 
from a few years ago. It was kind of a throwback Metroidvania 2D side-scrolling adventure game um, that has now come out on every platform, but originally came out on PC and then I think really exploded in popularity when it came out on the Switch. And a sequel called Hollow Knight Silk Song is on the way. Um, I think it's been delayed a lot. I think it was supposed to come out this past year. We're still not sure when it's going to come out, but I have a feeling we'll see more of, of that game at E3 um, and that it may be coming out this year. So I think that's one where it'll be more of the same, but Hollow Knight was so good that just getting more of the same is going to be really exciting. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing more of Silk Song. Um, so let's talk about Nintendo. They have promised for a while that we're going to get a new Metroid game, Metroid Prime 4. And obviously this is pretty exciting. It's been quite a while, many years since there's been a new Metroid game uh, on a mainline console. This game has been teased forever, and it's been just speculated about endlessly. When is it finally going to come out? It feels like it's time, Nintendo. I think it's finally time for a new Metroid. Not to mention, I think a lot of people like myself would be excited by a remastered collection of all the previous Metroids, including the Metroid Prime games and even, ideally, the classic NES and Super NES Metroids. Um, so we'll see if we get any of that, but I do think it feels like this will be the year that we, that we finally get some Metroid news. Um, and, and also on the Nintendo front, we have already seen a year ago, you know, some, some teasers for the second Zelda Breath of the Wild game. I've got to imagine there's going to be something more on that game uh, at this year's E3. I'm guessing it's a 2022 release at the earliest, but I feel like there's got to be something. We're going to see something. Now, the one other Nintendo thing that I think uh, is going to be exciting, and this one I think we, we will almost definitely see, is the third Bayonetta game. And Bayonetta is this really high-octane action series um, in the vein of Devil May Cry. And, uh, you know, it's been highly anticipated for, for a few years now when we'll get this third game. And uh, I think that will, will be a fun one that will make a splash. And uh, I have a feeling we'll see Bayonetta 3 at this year's E3. Another game that uh, has been speculated about for a couple years now, got a lot of hype when it was first announced, is a game called Elden Ring that is sort of this dream team combination of From Software, who makes the very critically acclaimed uh, Bloodborne and Demon Souls games, and Dark Souls games, I should say, um, with... Uh, George R. R. Martin of Game of Thrones fame, 
who is apparently like writing uh, the story of the game and creating the world of the game. So it seems like a match made in heaven. And everyone has been very curious to, to learn more about this game. Uh, I think all we ever got when it was announced was like a very brief teaser. So it's been quite a while now. I've got to think that there's something to show with Elden Ring at this point. So we'll see. This was a game that was going to be on PS5 and I think maybe also Xbox. Um, so we'll see if we get any more, but it seems like a solid bet for E3. Um, you know, the the other uh, game that we've only gotten brief teasers of and it's been very delayed. We don't even know for sure if it's still coming, but... This is another one I'm optimistically hoping that it's there at E3 this year, and it feels like it should be, is Beyond Good and Evil 2 from Ubisoft. This is another one where there was a, a PlayStation 2 game back in the day called Beyond Good and Evil. It was a huge cult classic. It was a really cool adventure game. Had a lot of interesting mechanics, a really imaginative world, great characters, uh, a sequel has been in the works forever. We've seen teases of it. It keeps getting, you know, pushed back, sort of disappearing for a while. I think it still exists. I think people have been working on it. So we'll see. I mean, it feels like, again, should be at this year's E3. And hopefully Ubisoft, you know, we know that they're having a big event. So hopefully... Finally, Beyond Good and Evil 2 is there in some form and, and has a release date. That would be, I think, a big sigh of relief. Um, God of War, I've talked about. You know, we know it's not coming till 2022, but it feels like the time is right for some kind of teaser. And, uh, you know, it's certainly arguably the biggest gun that Sony has. And if they want to sell some PS5s this holiday season, <clears throat> getting people hyped for, for a new God of War is probably a good way to do that. So I'm guessing we'll see something from God of War from the sequel for PS5 uh, and also PS4 apparently. But I think it's a pretty safe bet for this year. And lastly a game that's a little bit of a wild card because we don't know what the game is. And this one is this one falls into the side of more rumored than confirmed. Um, but there's been a lot of talk that the legendary uh, Hideo Kojima, the creator of the Metal Gear Solid series, as well as the recent uh, Death Stranding game, he apparently has something new in the works. So... He's a true uh, iconoclast, someone who I'm always curious what he's up to. There's rumors that he's been working on some kind of new uh, horror game where, you know, if you follow him, then you, then you probably know well that years ago, he and the director Guillermo del Toro had collaborated on this game that only was ever released as a demo called PT. And it was a horror game that was sort of a spiritual successor 
<clears throat> to the Silent Hill series. And it only ever existed as a demo. The game was canceled, never came out. And people have always wondered, would Hideo Kojima go back? And even if he's not going to do a PT game, would he do some other horror game to finally fulfill that promise of doing something in that genre? So we'll see. Um, you know, he has this new studio that he did Death Stranding with, with Sony. And uh, I think it'd be cool. He's got to be, I'm assuming he's been working on something. So we'll see. That would be a really cool surprise if we get a new game from him. It is something that's been heavily speculated on. So we'll see. So those are 10 games that um, seem like good potential candidates for this year's E3. And then before I close out, I'm going to mention five more games that I have no idea if these will be at E3. Not, I haven't seen any rumors about these at all. These are just five things that I think would be cool. Uh, so we'll see if any of these actually do come to fruition. I will be very excited. The first thing is something that I think actually has a decent chance, if not at this year's E3. It's, at some point, I think it will be. It will happen. And that is Injustice 3. And Injustice, if you don't know, is the uh, DC Comics fighting game that is from the team that created uh, Mortal Kombat. And uh, the Injustice games are really cool. They have great stories. Um, Injustice 2, it's now been, though, several years since that came out. And it certainly feels like it's time for a third game. And uh, I would be very excited for a third Injustice game. And I hope we get it because, uh, you know, I feel like most a lot of the fighting game series come out with something every year, every other year. Injustice, though, it's been several years since we've seen a new one. It feels time. Um, and I'd love to see just a refreshed lineup of, of characters from the DC Comics library, a cool new story. So I don't know if it will happen, but I hope it will. Secondly, and this is a huge reach. This is just kind of a dream game but in recent years we've seen capcom do a decent amount with the mega man franchise which is one of my favorite franchises ever but a lot of what they've done has been sort of retro either remakes or sort of new games that are in a very retro style i want a brand new mega man for 2021 3D in the vein of something like Ratchet and Clank, a 3D action platform shooter um, in that sort of insomniac type of style. A full-on AAA Mega Man game. It's about time, I think, that we got that franchise updated for the modern era. More, you know, and we've had some good retro flashback games, whatever, but I think it's high time for an all-new Mega Man game, and I'd love to see that at E3. It's a stretch for sure, but 
How cool would that be? Now, one thing that has been a little bit rumored, so it could come to fruition, is there's an interesting scenario where Insomniac, the developer who does Ratchet and Clank and Spider-Man, they are now owned by Sony. But the one game that several years ago they deviated from Sony and, and did it exclusively for Microsoft was a game called Sunset Overdrive, which, again, had kind of a cult following. But a lot of people never played it, including me, because I was a PlayStation guy. And this was the rare Insomniac game that was not on PlayStation. So there's been a lot of rumors now that Sony owns Insomniac if they're going to do something with Sunset Overdrive. And so it would be really cool, if nothing else, just to get a re-release of the original game on PS4 or PS5. It'd also be cool if there was a brand new Sunset Overdrive game for either of those systems um, as well. So we'll see what happens. I think this actually has a decent shot of happening in some form. Uh, so we'll see, but I would just love to play the original because, uh, I've always wanted to, and, uh, that would be a really cool surprise. Uh, one other Sony franchise that I think a lot of people are clamoring for this. I've seen a lot of talk about it recently is a new twisted metal game. It's been forever since there was a new twisted metal game. It feels like the time is right for something new. Um, and I know they're the franchise, like, I think they're making a TV show now. Um, it feels like the time is right for a new Twisted Metal game. And man, when I was a kid uh, and when I was a teenager, I played the heck out of Twisted Metal 2 in particular was a favorite. So I think Sony's got to dust off that franchise and uh, that would be a really cool, I think, you know, they maybe oversaturated it at, at one point, you know, a decade ago, but I think now enough time has passed that people would be really excited for more. And then my last thing here is not even a specific game, but just going back to Nintendo, I feel like we need something new from Nintendo. I just want a new Nintendo IP, a brand new franchise, a big action game, a platform game, an adventure game from Nintendo, something we've never seen before, like they used to do all the time back in the day in the NES and Super NES days. They would always be unveiling new games, new franchises, new characters. I want something new from Nintendo that's not Pokemon, that's not Mario, not Zelda. Give me something cool that has that old school Nintendo magic that makes me excited about the Switch. So I would love to see that from Nintendo. It's been so long since we got like a truly exciting new franchise from them. Um, that's not based on something existing or that's not just a reiteration of something they've already done. And that is like a truly triple A must play franchise. So that's what I'd love to see from, from Nintendo. And it's going to be interesting. It's going to be a really exciting week. 
Um, I can't wait to watch all the videos and read all the speculation and the hype and the comments. And uh, yeah, I'll come back next week and I'll talk about what did happen. And we'll see if any of my uh, predictions came true. But hope you guys have a great week. Enjoy three. And I will be back next week with a lot to talk about.